Well, what an incredible day in the life of our church. We're so excited to open up all of this newly renovated space. Now, there are still a, a few things left to do in this room, but we're grateful. We're grateful for the investments that our church has continued to make in this property, in these spaces that God has entrusted to us. And this morning, I want us to be reminded about the primary reason why these renovated spaces should excite us. You see, we're not simply excited this morning just because of the way our sanctuary looks or the aesthetics of our gym. They are great for sure, but we're excited about something more significant. We're excited about the ministry that will take place in these renovated rooms. You see, we did all of this work to facilitate the mission of our church, to facilitate the ministry of the word, the ministry of the word. If we could boil down all that we do as a church, all that we do on a Sunday morning into one phrase, I think that would be it. The ministry of the word. You see, to make disciples locally and globally for the glory of God, we need the ministry of the word. We need God to speak to us. We need God to form us as a people, to, to call people who do not know him yet to himself in a saving sense through the proclamation and teaching of his word. Because we believe that God speaks through his word. And that when God speaks, things change, people change for his glory. That's what we want to take place within the walls of this building, within the walls of our church, within the walls of our homes. We want to sit before the word of God and allow him, ask him to speak in a life-changing way into our lives. And our hope this morning, as we have gathered is to reinforce this ministry commitment on this momentous day through the passage that God has prepared for us in 2 Timothy. Because here's what Paul is essentially saying to Timothy and by God's providence to us, the people of Bayleaf Baptist Church. The Holy Scripture is a sacred gift that is meant to form the foundation of our ministry as God's people. The Holy Scripture is a sacred gift that is meant, it must form the foundation of our ministry as the people of God. Everything we do, church, must be grounded in the Word of God because it is through the Word of God and the power of the Spirit that God glorifying gospel transformation takes place. And if we're not in that business, what on earth are we doing here? Second Timothy chapter 3. We're going to begin in verse 14 and continue all the way into chapter 4, verse 4. Here's what the Word of God says. But as for you, Timothy, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed knowing from whom you learned it. And how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God 
may be complete, equipped for every good work. And so I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with complete patience and teaching for the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. Directly following Paul's warning to Timothy about false teachers, those teachers who have the appearance of godliness but deny its power in chapter three, verse five, Paul reminds Timothy of what will make him a faithful teacher. What it means to be a faithful teacher of God's word, a minister of the gospel. And it has everything to do with how Timothy uses, deals with the deposit of faith how he handles the teaching of the apostles that has been entrusted to him. So this morning, I want to ask two questions that I believe Paul answers in his challenge to Timothy to drive our own commitment to a ministry of the word because we want to be found faithful just as Timothy desired to be faithful. So here's the two questions. Firstly, what makes the Holy Scripture a gift? We're going to answer that through chapter 3, verses 14 to 17. And secondly, how must it form the foundation of our ministry here at Bayleaf? And we'll answer that question in the verses in chapter 4. But let's begin with the first question because that only seems right. What makes the Holy Scripture a gift? Why must we be faithful to the scripture, three qualities Paul mentions here in the first part of our text that should help us understand the gift that scripture is and why we must remain committed to it. The first quality that Paul mentions is that holy scripture is sacred. And we see that in verses 14 and 15. Holy scripture is sacred, set apart by God. That's what it means to be sacred. And it is set apart by God to be used by God for an incredible purpose, to lead us to salvation in Christ. Paul says to Timothy, continue to be faithful to these sacred writings, the same sacred writings that you learned from childhood. And he learned them, we know from chapter one, verse five, from his mother Eunice and his grandmother Lois. Now it should be noted here that Paul is referencing in this portion of his challenge to Timothy, largely the writings of the Old Testament, because that, that's what he would have learned in his home. But later in his life, under the teaching of Paul as an apostle of Jesus Christ, Timothy came to see the Old Testament teaching in a fuller sense, as Paul tied them to the teaching of Christ Jesus himself. And because of this attachment, of what God has revealed in the Old Testament to what God has more fully revealed in Christ, Timothy has now been made wise by the Spirit of God to the salvation that Jesus has secured for him and for all of those who call upon him in repentance and belief. Now, my friends, could there be a greater gift than this? 
Could there be a greater gift than the witness to the redemptive work that God has been unfolding throughout history to reconcile us to himself? A witness that, that God uses when proclaimed to open our eyes to what we could not see in our sin, but what we must see in order to be saved. As a church, we must see and believe that all of Scripture is a gift from God because all of it helps us understand the fullness of the gift of salvation that God has secured for us in Christ. The Old Testament prepares us for the work of Christ. The Gospels testify to the coming of Christ. And the rest of the New Testament helps us see the wake of his coming as we anticipate his return. We need it all, and God has given it to us all. Think about the Exodus event as an example. This is a big event in the, the story of the Old Testament. I hope that you are familiar with it. It's certainly something we talk about a lot as a church. It's really the moment that the people of God in the Old Testament were able to see God's redemptive power on display for their benefit. They're, they're able to get to know the God of their fathers through the Exodus moment. You see, the people of God were in bondage. They were slaves to a, a cruel master in Egypt and they cried out to their God and God raised up for them a deliverer named Moses. A deliverer that he had uniquely positioned in the house of Pharaoh so that at the exact right time he could represent his people to Pharaoh as an instrument of God. And God displayed his power to save his people through many miraculous events. Plagues, the plague of the firstborn, but also in the parting of the Red Sea. You see, when it looked like the people of God had been led out of Egypt to another source of destruction or had been trapped to fall victim to the oppressors who had oppressed them, suddenly God acted in the most incredible way to set in motion their deliverance as they walked across dry ground. It's an incredible story. What makes it even more incredible, though, is how God uses that story, that seminal moment at the beginning of the Bible throughout Scripture to point us to a greater deliverance and a greater deliverer. In Hebrews 3.3, the author of that book under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit draws a direct comparison between Jesus and Moses. He says, Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses. Because Jesus has, has led us, has led the people of God into a greater freedom, into greater rest. Jesus led us out of the hand of a greater oppressor, sin. He has led us out in an even more glorious way through his death and resurrection. And he has written the law given through Moses on our hearts and transformed us as a people to be able to walk in true obedience. And this deliverer will lead us into a greater land of promise, into a greater rest. You see, the hope of Jesus, the work of his salvation is made more clear and evident through the witness of God's work in the Old Testament. God uses all of it to make us wise unto salvation, all of it. And that's what makes these writings sacred. 
The second thing that Paul mentions, the second quality of scripture that helps remind us that it is a gift is that it's inspired. Verse 16, Holy Scripture is inspired. The words contained in these pages are a gift because Paul says they are God-breathed. Isn't that incredible? God-breathed. The witness offered in Scripture is able to be used by God in the way that he intends because he providentially directed their writing. The Spirit of God moved upon the, the prophets. The Spirit of God moved upon the apostles who gave witness to the work of God so that their, their words were entirely and exactly as God intended them to be. They were written by men, yes, but they were moved to write what they wrote under the guiding hand of the Holy Spirit. Peter gives witness to this, complementing what Paul writes here in 2 Timothy and 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 20 and 21. And here's what Peter writes. No prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit of God carried the authors of Scripture along to write what God intended them to write for our benefit as the people of God. And this is how all, all, look to your neighbor and say all. This is how all the Scripture was written according to verse 16. And that's what makes this book a unique gift to us. You see, friends, this book we gather around every week, hopefully we engage with every day, is not like other books. It's not just a collection of historic events. It's not just a collection of, of wise sayings or musing about the nature of humanity. It is far more than that. It is God's written word to us. It is the witness of Christ and it leads us to Jesus, which consequently means it leads us to our God who has been revealed in Christ. It is inspired. And thirdly, the third quality that Paul mentions is that it is sufficient. Holy Scripture is sufficient, verses 16 and 17. These sacred writings offer us everything we need, everything we need to know and love God. Nothing else can help us know God apart from the witness of Christ in Scripture. Nothing else can help us know how to truly please God apart from the wisdom that God has inspired in the pages of Scripture. Nothing else can do that and nothing else is needed. Again, Peter echoes the writing of Paul here in 2 Peter chapter 1. He writes, God's divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence by which he has granted us his precious and very great promises so that through them, listen to this, you may become partakers of his divine nature having escaped the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. My goodness, what a sentence. Loaded with rich truth about the work of God and the word of God. Everything we need to find true life, abundant, eternal life. 
and to walk in godliness has been given to us in the scripture. As it testifies to the work and person of Christ, God uses the scripture and the power of the spirit to help us realize who we are in Christ and then to walk in light of it. Because in the scripture, that's where we see witness Jesus. We hear him. We hear the words of Christ. It's remarkable. And this is important because Jesus, as the son, he pleased, fully pleased the father. He has shown us what it looks like to truly know and love God. He's our example of faithfulness, but he's also more than that. He's not just our example, he's also our empowerment for faithfulness. His faithfulness is what enables our faithfulness. So as we read the pages of scripture and we get to know Jesus and we see what it looks like to follow righteously, faithfully after Christ, that doesn't have to lead us to feel the weight of that. Yes, there's an expectation we're to look like Christ, but we're also rejoiced because we know that because Christ did these things, if we are in him and he is in us, we can do them as well. Church, do we see the gift of scripture? Do we believe, I mean truly believe that these writings are sacred, inspired, sufficient? I pray the answer is yes. And if so, we must devote ourselves to a ministry built upon them. To ask God to continue to do through these, these writings, this gift to us, what he desires to do in our midst. And that leads us to our second question for today. How must this gift, how must the Holy Scripture form the foundation of everything we do here at Bayleaf Baptist Church? And Paul writes four actions that should characterize a ministry that is faithful to the word. Four actions that should characterize the work of a people that see the scripture as the gift that it is. Sacred, inspired, sufficient. Here's the qualities. Let me read them for you and then we'll walk through them. Firstly, we're to preach the word of God. Secondly, we're to confront with the word of God. We are to correct, thirdly, with the word of God, and we are to urge with the word of God. We're to preach, confront, correct, and urge. Let's walk through these a little bit more to make sure we understand why and how these things show up in the ministry of the word in our church. Firstly, the first action, we are to preach the word of God. We are to declare over the gathered people of God the words of God because we believe that God meets us as we gather around his word in a unique way. I hope you sense it this morning, friends. There is a presence in our midst, even right now in this room. God honors us by meeting us when we take his words seriously and speak and ask him to speak to us. Listen, what happens in this room when we gather as his people happens nowhere else. I hope you, I hope you sense that. I hope, you, I, hope we've, I hope we've learned that lesson through COVID when we had to be separated. That there is something unique, that this gathering is important. And listen, I know there are some 
who are watching online today, hello, those of you who are watching online, that must watch online because of health concerns. Maybe they're traveling today. But I hope that all of us who are able to be in this room on a Sunday morning will choose to be here among the people of God because God meets us here. He says, where two or more are gathered, who's going to be there? Him. And you cannot get this anywhere else. Yes, it's a gift to have the option to watch online, but I heard someone say, it's like watching a, a fire on a screen rather than getting up to a real one and experiencing its warmth. There's a difference, a qualitative difference, friends, when we gather around the Word of God as often as it is possible. So long as it is possible, let's make it our mission, our commitment to be here, to sit under the proclaimed Word of God so that we can meet, feel the presence of Almighty God in our midst. Every time we gather, every time we sit before Scripture, essentially, here's what we're saying. We're saying, God, we want to meet you. God, we want to hear from you. God, we want to know you and delight in you as your people. And we know you've given us this, this gift of Scripture to make that happen. And when we actually speak what God has spoken through the words of Scripture, we, we hear the glory of God. We declare the work of Christ and his gospel. We meditate on what God has said. We're transformed from one degree of glory to another. We set ourselves in God's hand and we ask the Spirit to use what God has said to shape us, to make us wise into salvation and to form us into the image of Jesus. Oh, friends, we are to preach the word and we are to receive the preached word, trusting that God will use us to help us know and love him more. Secondly, we are to confront with the word of God. We're also to warn. We, we offer reproof from the word of God. We declare what is true and what is untrue because God defines what is true based on what he has said. And this happens not only in preaching settings, but in the full context of the ministry of the word. You see, preaching is just one aspect of the ministry of the word, but everything we do as a church should be built upon the wisdom and revelation of God's word. So when we're in small group teaching settings, when we're in counseling settings, when we are in sanctifying discipleship conversations across a table or in a home, I hope we are using and building our ministry upon the word of God to encourage right belief and discourage wrong belief. You see, we want and need to believe what God has said and only what he has said. Not what someone else has said he has said. Not what someone else has said themselves. Not what we believe or feel. Because all of that can get us, get us into trouble. And it can lead us away from salvation, not toward salvation. We need to have a commitment to the authority of Scripture to sit before it and allow it to shape us rather than us trying to shape it. And in consequence, shaping God into our image rather than allowing Him to shape us in His. I was reading a, an article this very morning 
from The Guardian. It's an opinion piece. And here's the title. It caught my eye. Our retreat from Christianity doesn't mean we've lost our sense of morality. Here's the title again. Let me give it to you. Our retreat from Christianity doesn't mean we've lost our sense of morality. Now, this article was written in the United Kingdom. And it was talking about the state of Christianity in the United Kingdom, which is rapidly declining. And the author is arguing that we're not sacrificing morality when we sacrifice Christianity. And he began to to use demographics that had been brought about in studies to make his point. He he references a, a demographic study done a decade ago by a professor of theology and religious studies at King's College in London. And here's what this study found. Just 1% of Anglicans and Catholics, the two largest Christian traditions there in the United Kingdom, just 1% of Anglicans and Catholics looked to Scripture for moral direction. And only 3%, these are Christians, by the way, only 3% and 8% respectively sought moral direction in its Christian teachings or traditions. Instead, 34% of Anglicans and 29% of Catholics relied on this, their own reason and judgment. And around a fifth of both groups set store by their own intuition and feelings. That's how they arrived at their morality. And here's a quote. It is not belief in God that defines our moral values, but our moral values that shape the way we think about God. No, friends, no. What a dangerous, dangerous statement. Again, reflecting our desire to be our own God and to craft him into our image instead of allowing his word to shape us into his. We need the word of God. Our our hearts, our sinful hearts are wicked and deceitful. And they will lead us astray. They will lead us to want to demean others, to elevate ourselves. They will want to deceive us from knowing the truth so that we can indulge in our own practices. And here's the danger. There are false teachers who will capitalize on this. As we learned last week, there are, to use an example, false teachers who will look at a severe diabetic and say, the cure for your disease is more donuts. And here's the issue with that. We like donuts. I I want them to say that's the issue, but that was what caused the issue in the first place, potentially. People will have itching ears, gather for themselves teachers to suit their own interests and ideologies. Friends, the only way that we will be faithful and the only teachers that we should follow who will be proven to be faithful are those who stand upon the word of God. We confront with the word of God. Thirdly, we correct with the word of God. And in this particular instance, we're talking about behavior. We also use the word of God in these same settings, the full ministry of the word to cultivate right behavior as a testimony to the power of God. You see, wrong, unfaithful behavior, as we learned last week in Pastor Kyle's message, wrong, unfaithful behavior denies the power of God. But faithful, God-honoring behavior declares 
the power of God. Part of a true ministry of the word in any community of faith is outlining what is honoring to God and what is not. And we should see that as a gift from God to help us be like Christ. Listen, if there's anything in my life that is not like Jesus, I want it out. Because I want to be like Christ because Christ pleased the Father fully. And if there's something that's not pleasing to him, I want it out because I love him because of how he has loved me. And so when we sit before the word of God, there's a gift as it works as a mirror to point out those places that do not look like Christ and offer us an example of what we should put in place of those things that we are removing. Those who are in Christ will respond to the conviction of the word because the spirit uses those words to awaken us and transform us for his glory. And finally, we are to urge, urge with the word of God. We are to exhort, command each other to hope, to be faithful until Christ returns to judge the living and the dead, and he will, chapter four, verse one. Friends, there's coming a day when Christ will return and complete, finish the work that he began in his earthly ministry. And until that day when we're called home, either through death or his return, we must urge each other on to remain set apart for the glory of God, to give ourselves to the mission of making disciples regardless of the cost. As we sit before scripture, it reminds us of where we are heading. It reminds us of what God has prepared for us and the danger that exists of everyone who does not know Jesus as Savior and Lord. Friends, urge, urge one another toward faithfulness and use the encouragement of Scripture to help us. Because again, we live in a day when people will not endure sound teaching, but will in, instead gather teachers that suit their own passions, teachers that will accommodate sin rather than confront, that will excuse indulgence, indulgence rather than lead to faithfulness. Times will be difficult, but God is sovereign and Jesus is coming. Let's encourage each other with these words. And maybe today you're being confronted with God's word as you hear the testimony of, of what he has accomplished for us in Christ. And maybe the Lord is leading you to a place of salvation. Maybe the Spirit is using the proclaimed word to make you wise into salvation and you are ready to give yourself to Christ through repentance and belief. And if that's you, in just a few minutes, we're gonna have an opportunity for you to respond to the preached word of God by giving your life to Christ. If the Lord's moving in your heart right now, showing you your need for Jesus, what Christ has done for you and the call to give your life to him. We want to know that and encourage you in that and help you walk in greater faithfulness to him. So we'll have that opportunity in a minute. For the rest of us though, we're gonna respond first to the preached word of God through the taking of the Lord's Supper. The taking of the supper. And this is an important thing. It's an important compliment to what we've just done in sitting under the word of God. This supper is a visible declaration of what we have just verbally declared through the scripture. So it's a reminder for us 
to think about what God has revealed through the pages of this word about what we needed, what God has done, what Christ has done in offering his body and his blood and that there's salvation in no one else. And so we're gonna respond by taking the supper as a declaration of our trust in the witness of the word and what Christ has accomplished for us as his people. And for those of you who do not know Christ yet, I want you to, to wait to respond because I want you to see this complimentary witness that God has given to us that we will collectively, corporately declare that all of us who partake of the supper have said what the scripture has revealed, what God has revealed through the scripture is true. That salvation is only in Christ. Now, as we prepare, let me remind us that this is a family meal. It is meant for the people of God, those who are followers of Jesus. And we have prepared this meal for the membership of this body. But also know that we invite other baptized believers from like-minded churches to join us in partaking of the supper this morning. But again, if you're not a follower of Christ, we ask you to not. We also wanna make sure that we, we take this supper in a way that is a true testimony to the work of Christ. That there's nothing in our corporate witness that would be a hindrance to someone seeing the collective witness of our church and not responding to the, the visible declaration of the gospel. And so wherever you are, would you just bow your heads? And would you ask God, ask the Spirit to search your heart? Is there anything in your life, any wayward way, that would cause you to take the supper today in an unworthy manner? Would you confess it? Would you repent of it? Trusting even more in the provision of grace that we're about to declare. And would you ask God, as we prepare to take these elements, to stir in your heart a deeper sense of gratitude for the salvation that he has unfolded for you in Christ and through the witness of scripture, would you rejoice today? Rejoice today because of the body and blood of Christ. Father, we ask you to move in this time as we respond to the preaching of your word, the verbal declaration of your word through this visible declaration. Thank you for its gift and the ability to put what we believe into action. You have made us wise to salvation in Jesus and we rejoice in that today. And if there's any in our midst who maybe you're doing that work today or have yet to respond in repentance and belief. God, would you use this moment where your presence is amongst us to draw them to yourself. Move mightily 
in our midst. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for joining us this week at Bayleaf. For more information about Bayleaf Baptist Church, visit our website at bayleaf.org.